a lot of our elementary kids are in here too. And so, good to see all of them. Yeah, there they are. They're all just sitting there all nice and calm and well-behaved. We'll, we'll pray that last. No, I'm kidding. They're good kids. Um, super glad you guys are here. We did just turn down the AC because I saw icicles on some people's earlobes. And that would be happy place for me, but for some of you guys, I understand. It's not your, not your happy place. Um, if you haven't been with us in the past several weeks, we've been in the book of Philippians for several weeks now. And today, we're kind of reaching the midpoint. And, like, this is one of those passages... To be honest, I think uh, there's a temptation just to kind of read it and skip it because it seems like in the midst of what Paul has been doing, like it seems like it's just, it's just weird. And, and so we're going we're gonna to approach that. We're going to talk about why it's there, and I, I think it's very important, um, the reasons that, reasons that it's there, why God inspired Paul to write it. But we're going to pray, and then uh, we're going to look at this text today. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. God, thank you that through him uh, we can know you, we can be known by you. Um, God, we can have life everlasting. Thank you, God, that he is, he's not like us. God, thank you that he's completely other than, um, completely beyond us, God, but yet you made him within reach uh, through his obedience and through the cross. God, thank you for loving us that much. Uh, we pray today, God, that as we look at your word, that uh, we are faithful to look at it correctly, not to add anything or take anything away, and that you would speak and make us look more like, more like Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So the past few weeks, um, Paul kind of entered in. Now, for him, it was just one letter, but for us, it's taken a couple weeks to chew through it. And, but starting in chapter 2, like, Paul kind of made this shift from update and a little bit of teaching, um, teaching in the midst of that, to like, you know, purely just like deep doctrinal theological words. Like chapter 2, uh, in the very beginning, it probably created or, or contained some some early church liturgy, which is something that they repeated or catechized, which means that they repeated it enough to where they learned it, uh, and it may have appeared kind of like the hymns that we sang for them during early church worship, because it was so important. These ideas of having the same mind that is in us, that is through Christ Jesus, by being humble, by being unified, uh, by taking on the form of a servant, the idea of canoe or letting go of certain parts of divinity are there, um, and it's it's, it's just vital for our understanding of what the gospel really is. And so he teaches through that, and then last week we went through that text uh, of basically like work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Another very key passage within the New Testament uh, that talks about this idea that, yes, we have salvation by grace through faith, but as a result, uh, we need to work at it. Like, not so that we can earn more, but because we've been granted it through grace. And so as a result, like, we strive for Jesus, to know him better, to understand him better, and we strive to avoid certain things. And Scripture calls those sin. We do too. And so we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with awe and reverence, understanding that this is God who saves us, God who calls us, God who equips us, nothing man-made, something like that. And then we find ourselves today, starting in verse 19 of chapter 2, to where it almost sounds like the way that Paul would generally end a letter, uh, giving an update on the people that are around him, the people that he's thinking about. But what we have to do in order to understand what we're looking at today is to understand what we talked about the past few weeks, what Paul just went through. Again, talking about these ideas like we need to think in unified mind uh, because we've been granted that ability through Christ. We need to think in terms of humility, think in terms of unity, think in terms of servanthood, all of those things. Because what Paul's going to do for us today is Paul's actually going to say, I've talked about it, I've told you what it needs to look like, now now I'm going to show you through things that you would see, things that you would understand, giving you a physical illustration. I think I've, I've shared this example before, but several years ago I got to be um, on the field for the opening uh, game for Clemson, 
and it was Clemson versus Georgia. And it was a game that we lost narrowly. It was those few years ago, but it was a, it was a painful game. But I remember just being on the field, and I, I, realize, I realize my stature, okay? I understand, you know? I get that I, I'm not a tall dude, all right? I understand that I need step stools in life, and I understand that very often I'm going to hug average-sized men and my face is going to be in their chest. Like, I, I get that. I'm fully aware of that, and I, I'm comfortable in my own freckled skin that, that burns very easily. Like, I'm there. But I remember standing on that field and watching Georgia take the field, and I'm just looking at them, and I'm like, holy cow, these guys are giants. Like, they, they are massive mountains of men. And so, like, you know, I understand that people that play D1 football, because I've had buddies that play D1 football, I know that they're big dudes, you know, they're big dudes. They move weight, and they move themselves, which is a lot of weight. But sitting on that, standing on that field, standing as tall as I possibly could at five foot seven with shoes on and on good turf, like, I'm looking at these dudes, and I'm like, they're huge, you know, you read stats on a page, you know, you, you read, hey, 6'7", 340, runs a 4'7", you're like, yeah, he's a big guy. But until you see him saunter past you in full gear, you're like, man, I had no idea what big really was. And then not only to watch that game, but to stand on the field and to watch the speed of mountains. Like, these are big dudes, and their linemen could beat me in a 40. And, you know, like, I, I probably thought a little highly of myself more than I should. You know, I, I have very specific athletic prowess, um, very, very specific. Uh, but, like, to watch these guys and to think you understood what big was before I saw them, I did not. And to think I understood what speed was until I saw it, I did not. What I had to do in order to understand, like, the scope and the largeness of these guys that were playing for Georgia, a, a premier SEC program, was I actually had to see it. Like, I had to see what big was. I couldn't just read the stat. I couldn't just read how much they weighed, how tall they were, how fast they were. I had to see it. Now, granted, Clemson, we're not slackers, all right? You know, I will be proudly supporting them until my student loans are paid off and probably after, which, you know, it's going to be a while. Uh, but either way, like, I'll proudly support the Tigers. That's who I am. If you support another team, that's okay. There's grace for you, too. Um, but still, like, those guys were massive. What Paul does in this particular text today is he's talked about like the ideas, the processes, the way that we need to live. But what he does here is he doesn't, he, he's not giving like an aside. He's not giving a travel log. He's not giving anything like that. No, he's saying, I've told you what we need to do, but now I want to remind you of a couple people who've done it people you've seen, people you've lived with, people that you've watched. Because sometimes what we need in order to understand what it looks like is we need examples. And so that's what we get to have today uh, with Paul uh, writing to the church at Philippi in chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. So let's go ahead and read through these verses, finish out chapter 2, and then we'll go back and talk through this. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come too. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed he was ill, near to death or next door to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only him, but also on me, lest I should have been, had sorrow upon sorrow. 
I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And so Paul takes a moment, and it's, again, it's not on a side, it's not a travelogue, it's, it's really him fleshing out what he's talked about before just by reminding them of some people to talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now Timothy, Timothy we saw when we started this series back in Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul had just met uh, Timothy's mother, and he ended up meeting Timothy, and, and he basically called Timothy out. And we have in Timothy, we probably have the best physical illustration of what discipleship looks like in the New Testament. Father to spiritual son, investing in, equipping, continuing to occur, encourage, directing all of those things. And like true, true love exchange there. And he even says, like, like a son here. And we see that. Timothy went on to pastor churches. He went on to correct churches. He went on to do a lot of things. And that's the first person Paul talks about. He's like, I, I hope to send you Timothy really soon. Uh, then, then the other guy that we have is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus we have no mention of other than in the book of Ephesians here and there towards the end of the book. And what we know about Epaphroditus, other than he has a, a great name that we should give our next firstborn son, is that he was most likely one of the Philippians. Like he was a homegrown servant, a homegrown missionary, so to speak. And what we see in this text, we'll get into it a little bit more, is basically they, they could not be with Paul. They supported Paul, like we've talked about. The church at Philippi was a great partner uh, to Paul. They supported him financially. They supported him prayerfully. They supported him any way that they could. And every time Paul talks about him, he's like, you guys... You're the best partners I've ever had. You, you've encouraged me. You've equipped me. You've loved me well. But there's one thing you could not give me while I was here in prison, and that was to actually be with me in person. So they sent Epaphroditus so that he could actually be there in person. Towards the end of this text, just to kind of go ahead and, and give this away, in verse 30 it says, to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That's not a knock against the people of Philippi because they've done everything. It was mentioned also when talking to the people of Corinth, but it was basically like the one thing that you haven't been able to do for me. You've done everything, and I'm incredibly grateful, is you long to be with me while I'm in prison, and you couldn't do that. So you took care of that by sending one of your own, by sending Epaphroditus. And so are the t these are the two guys that Paul's going to talk about. Starting in verse 19, he started off, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by the news of you. Like, I think we're a bit spoiled by the way that news travels, even is, when USPS, like, I'll be honest, I've been waiting on a package from Amazon for about five days now, and I'm, I'm a bit peeved, okay? Because if it doesn't get here in two days, I'm like, what's happened? It's been lost, and I need a refund now so I can order it again and get it in two days, because Amazon Prime has spoiled us. We're not only spoiled in the rate in which we get letters and packages, but in the rate in which we get news. Like, we can text it and immediately have that. Now, whether you respond or not, that's up to your generation, and you should respond. Uh, don't be numb to text messages, people of origins, um, or emails or any of those things. But I'm, I'm just, that's, that's neither here nor there, but do better. So... So we're spoiled at the rate in which we communicate. Uh, but for them, there were only two ways that they could hear from anyone to hear news other than gossip, okay? And gossip, bad, we know that. Uh, but the only way that they could hear is face-to-face -face or a letter that was handed off face-to-face. -face. They didn't really have a postal service. They had a means, a road, a common way to go through. They had a common language of Greek for the most part now. But the only way that that message could be conveyed was person-to-person, face-to-face, or handing off a letter saying, hey, your bro Paul wrote this letter. How about you take it, open it, disseminate it amongst the church? But here's the thing. Philippi to Rome, 800 miles, okay? 
800 plus miles. And not only just 800 plus miles, it was 800 miles pretty much straight. And in between the two huge land masses, northwest Italy, the boot, okay, uh, and then pass through Greece and go south of Bulgaria, like there was also a big body of water in between. Okay, so it wasn't just an easy deal to get a letter from Rome while Paul was in prison, by the way, all the way to Philippi or to get a message from Philippi to Rome. Like it wasn't easy. And so uh, what Paul says is, is soon I hope to send to you Timothy. Like I want to send Timothy to you so that he can go find out how you're doing and boomerang it and come back to me, you know, probably in about a year, a year's time. Because this wouldn't have been an easy journey, even for people with money. In the early church, they didn't have money. But to travel 800 miles, half of those being over water, the other half being over not really easy terrain, it would take a while. But Paul's like, look, um, I hope in the Lord Jesus, through his strength soon, to send Timothy to you so that I can hear how good you're doing. Then he can come back and kind of cheer me up. And you're like, man, that's really selfish. No, it's just the way life was done. It's the way communication happened. You know, Alexander Graham Bell, you know, tried to fix that, and we've, you know, extrapolated a lot of things. But either way, that's the guy who claimed inventing, you know, the telephone. He didn't. Read your history books. But anyway, um, that's free today. So either way, that's the way life happened. I hope soon to send to you Timothy so that he can hear, and then he can come back and tell me things. And then in verse 20 through 22, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me uh, in the gospel. Paul uses this they idea, referencing back to people that he's already talked about in chapter 1. You know, some preach the gospel out of rivalry or conceit or envy. And he says, I'm not telling them they shouldn't. I'm glad they're teaching the gospel. But at the same time, uh, they're not doing it for the right reasons. But the gospel's being heard, so I'm not going to name them. Same idea here. He's not going to name them, but he says, look, I want to send you Timothy. He's my best, my absolute best. And you know him. You met him when we came before way back in Acts chapter 16, when you saw me beaten to a bloody pulp, tossed in jail, you met Timothy. You saw him. You know. You know that he's of great value, that he's other than. He's really, really good. You know Timothy, and when they thought of Timothy, it's very likely they would have put Timothy in the camp of the text that they just heard in the letter. You know, just previously to this, when he's like, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. When they turned about Timothy, they were like, oh, that guy. That guy. We remember Timothy. We remember Timothy. It had been about 10 years a decade had passed since they were there, but they would have likely remembered Timothy, that guy who was in tow with Paul, learning from Paul, teaching the same gospel as Paul, sharing the same good news as Paul, doing it with the same fervency as Paul with Paul. He's like, you know Timothy. You've seen that guy. I hope to send him to you soon. And he said, remember how he is. He's like a son to me who served faithfully me in the gospel. And in verse 29, I hope therefore to send him to you just as soon as I know how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come too. He's like, I'll send him. I'm not going to send him right away. I'm going to wait to see what the courts are going to say about me. Paul was in prison for about two years in Rome at this stage. Uh, what we know from history, not necessarily from scripture, but extra biblical, is that he was likely released for about five years before he was martyred under the rule of Nero. 
And we don't know if Paul made it back to Philippi. We don't know if Timothy made it back to Philippi. But what we do know is Paul's intent was, as much as possible, I hope through the Lord Jesus, to send my very best back to you. He's of great service to me here now, but I want him to go and see you, make sure everything's going well, then he can come back. And then what I'm going to do, Paul, is I'm going to rejoice as he tells me all the good that you guys are doing. Remember, the book of Philippi is very unique. The people of Philippi were unique, but the book of Philippi, it's like this idea of being encouraged to continue to do the good things they're doing. Very little correction in the book of Philippi. And so he's like, look, yeah, I want to hear of the good things that I know that you're doing, that I think that you're doing, that I pray that you're doing. I want to hear him come back and tell me these things, and I will rejoice with you in that. So I'm going to send my, my very best. And so that was his first hope. And then, starting in verse 25, he says, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. He said, not only do I want to send Timothy to you, but I am going to send Epaphroditus back to you. He came from them. He was one of theirs. And he had been sent just to take care of Paul. Like I said, Paul was in prison. And it was one of those things like the, you know, the princess bride kind of a deal. Hey, you're doing good. Enjoy your day. Take your rest for tomorrow. You'll likely die. That kind of thing. Like that was where he was. He didn't complain once, but that was the reality. And, and he said, um, I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you. You sent him to me to take care of me. I want to send him back to you now. And so he gives us a little more information about that. But a couple of things before we do. Uh, he calls him my brother, my fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. And so he's actually equating him, Epaphroditus, to being on equal footing with Paul. He's like my fellow soldier, my fellow laborer, my fellow worker, like the one that's beside me, shoulder to shoulder, the one that you sent to me to take care of me, like we're in the same place. Like we're, we're on the same footing and I want to send him back. I want to send him back. Verse 26, he starts to tell us a little bit why. He says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So apparently somewhere along the way, 800-mile journey, maybe he cut his foot on the ship and he got a bad infection. We don't know. Either way, we know he got really sick. He got really sick. And in the midst of being really sick, he was still there to serve Paul. He was still there to look after the interest of others. Remember, that's previous text, this same idea, not only looking, uh, not from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Most of us, if we're going on a very long journey, we get very sick. The very first thing that we want is our own bed. You know, we want to go home. I don't know, like, I don't know if any of you have ever been, like, far, far away, and my son asked me yesterday, how bad is food poisoning? Like, he asked us that while we were at dinner. I'm like, let's not talk about it right now, but it's really bad. But I don't know if you've, any of you have been on that level of sick when you're not at home, but, like, when you're not at home, all you want is to throw up in your own toilet. You know, all you want is to lay in your own bed, that kind of thing. 800 miles away, probably not likely, but midway along the journey, you know, it probably would have been easy to be like, I'm sick. I can't take care of anybody. I can't do any of this. I just want my mom. Send me home. But instead, it seems like Epaphroditus, through all of that, he stuck it out. He stayed, and he worked. He was sent for a purpose, and so he just, man, steadfast is the word. You know, you set a course. You stay the course, regardless of wind and waves. You make sure you're on that same heading. And so he stuck. And so at some point, Paul, looking at him, says, I want to send him back, and here's why. He's worried that you're worried. 
like your messenger that you sent me to take care of me, Paul, spiritual father, kind of to you and many others, you're sending people to care for me, and now this guy who has selflessly cared for me almost at the expense of his life, I'm going to send him back because he is anxious and worried and brokenhearted because you are anxious and worried and brokenhearted, and the solution is that you see him on his own two feet. So I'm going to send him back. I'm going to send him back. Verse 27, he gives a little more information, and the phrasing here in Greek is really interesting. He says, indeed, he was ill. As a matter of fact, he was next door to death. Like that phrase, we see near death in our English translation, but it really is like next door to death in verse 27. And so, you know, that's basically the way that we would say, you know, you're at death's door or you've got one foot in the grave. Either way, you're right there. You're right there. One wrong sneeze, and it's, it's over. And so Paul wasn't speaking hyperbole like he was that sick, like things back in the day. They got bad. When they got bad, they got real bad. But he's like, hey, this guy you sent to care for me, he cared for me in spite of himself at the risk of his very life, and it almost cost him his very life. And so now I want to send him back to you. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. He's like, he kept him from dying, he kept me from grieving. God displayed great mercy. God displayed great mercy. And verse 28, he says, I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. He's like, I'm going to send him home so that you can see him, so that you can hug him, so that you can smell his beard, so that you can know that he is okay, and that way I'm not going to worry that you're worried. So I'm just going to send him home. Verse 29, he says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy. We're going to comma there. I think one of the rationale for Paul explaining so much is because it's very likely that someone being sent away, that they have to be sent back, I think a lot of people would shake their heads when they came home. You know, be like, what'd you do? Why, what, why are you home? You know, we sent you to care. We sent you to take care of somebody, and, and now you're back. You know, a year and a half later, because you just traveled at normal speed, but either way, we don't know how long, but either way, he's like, why are you back? And Paul takes this opportunity, number one, to remind them, I'm sending him back so that you may have joy that he's okay. I'm sending him back that I'll have joy that you know, that you have joy, that we have joy, that all joys add, so that I won't be anxious. But when he comes back, receive him. Receive him in the Lord with all joy. Be grateful that he's back. And then he gives direction. He says, honor such men. Honor such men. We'll get to that. For he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. Honor such men, he almost died, doing what you ask him to do in the name of Jesus. Honor such men. Such an interesting text. Because again, we've talked about the purpose from Paul's stance of writing this text. Like, yes, big supporter church in Philippi. Um, when he met them, it was rather, rather odd and not the normal way. Met a group of women worshiping outside of the city. They had not yet heard about Jesus. They had heard about the one true God. He was able to inform them. Many came to Christ. The church grew over the next 10 years. In the midst of Roman occupation, they were fully Roman people, and the gospel thrived. The church grew. They took care of Paul better than anyone else. They were sending missionaries to Paul I mean, this was a church that was sending missionaries to Paul, the best missionary that we have on record in Scripture. They were sending missionaries to Paul. They, they were unique. They were amazing. 
And Paul writes this letter to A, update them on where they are, to thank them for all their support, but also to teach them in the process. And this particular text is no different. He's just doing both at the same time. Yes, he's updating them about Timothy, hoping to send them soon, his current circumstance. He's updating them that, hey, in about eight months to 12 months, expect Epaphroditus. He's going to come back. He's done great. He almost died. Take good care of him. Have joy that he's back and honor him. But either way, he's updating and he's teaching. I think sometimes in texts like this, the, uh, the risk is that we're going to overreach the application. Because it, it does. It seems like a simple narrative of situation and of circumstance. But Paul's writing it for a reason. Paul didn't do things by accident. And he was directed by God to say such things. Plenary verbal inspiration. In other words, God gave him the word. He gave it to us written by men, inspired by God. And so he gives us this for a purpose. I think this is a couple of the things, like I did, like I read this even in prepping for Philippians. I wasn't dreading this text, but I was. I was kind of like, hey, God, like I, I read the rest of the scripture and I'm like, it's, it's pretty clear what we need to do. You know, um, we, we need to, to suffer well. We need to see that grace gives us the right to be saved. Grace gives us the right to suffer for the sake of Jesus. We can't be egocentric. We must be Christocentric. We need all of these things that we've talked about over the past several weeks. We need to be humble. We need to be united. We need to think like Christ. We need to be a servant. All those things. But I remember reading this and prep for this, and I'm like, God, I don't, I don't know what you want us to do with this. And just in praying over it for the past several days, like I, I think here's the things that stand out to me without making a reach or reading into things that aren't there. I think the first is this. If we're looking at Paul writing about these men at this time, in this place, in this text, I think the first thing that we need to understand and know is he's pointing out these men to tell us this. Serve like Jesus. Serve like Jesus. Because ultimately, that's why they did what they did. They never met Jesus personally. They never met him face to face, but they did meet Paul. And what they saw in Paul was they saw a man who did his best through the help of the Holy Spirit, the equipping and the power of God to live like this man, Jesus. Even though Paul never walked with Jesus, he did meet him on a road once. And he did pattern his life after this man, this man, this God, Jesus. And so they got to see it in Paul, and then therefore they got to imitate it. But ultimately what they were doing is they were imitating Jesus by imitating Paul. And ultimately they were serving like Christ. Like, if you look at these men and what they did, like, uh, they saw Paul model this selfless attitude of not for him, but for others, for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God. They saw that. They were repeating it now. We saw Timothy leave a life of where he had everything that he needed, and he started to follow Paul. And the very first thing that he had to do was to be circumcised as an adult male. He started giving up stuff right away. Not fun stuff. But they saw it modeled in the life of, of Timothy. They saw it modeled in the life of Paul. And then this Epaphroditus guy, this guy who was likely saved as a result of Paul sharing the good news, the, the more informative, complete good news with the people of Philippi, the, woman outside, the women outside the city, gave his life to Jesus uh, so that he could know God, be known by God, make God known, and then life selflessly served. They were serving like Jesus because they had seen Paul who was imitating Christ. They were serving like Christ. And when, when the readers of this, this letter, the people of Philippi, knowing Timothy, knowing Epaphroditus, when they read of them, they were likely reminded of it. Like that's the reason they sent Epaphroditus because he was probably their best. And now Paul's trying to send his best back to them and they're willingly doing it. Through this text, I think we see great examples of people who serve like Jesus, and there should be a calling upon our lives, not to serve like normal men, not to serve like normal women, not to serve like American entitled individuals, but to serve like Jesus who left his home so that people may know. 
who gave up everything so that people could experience hope, so that the gospel could be heard, perceived, felt, understand, and received. They served like Jesus. And, I, you know, and, and it, it's very rare that I'm just going to say we must do this. But here's the thing. If the kingdom is going to grow in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, we have to serve like Jesus. I mean, that's the bottom line. Like, we have to serve like Jesus. Selflessly, intentionally, continually, and not for the sake of me. Have to serve like Jesus. Go back to this text. Again, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you not look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. That was Jesus. The beginnings of chapter 2, the very reason that Paul pointed out all of those things, it's, it's how Jesus lived his life, and that's how these men were serving. It's how we have to serve too. And to be honest, it's not something we're capable of on our own. We couldn't do it on our own. Like, this is not self-help stuff. Like, there's not going to be a self-help book that's going to be revolutionary or change the, change the world for the kingdom's purposes to say, look, just imitate Christ on your own. It's not going to happen because we can't. You're like, you're telling me I can't? I'm telling you that you cannot. Without the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, living in us as a seal of our salvation by grace through faith, we cannot imitate and serve like Jesus. Because the moment that it gets hard, the moment that it gets tough, the moment that it, it causes us to question anything, we will stop and be done. The moment we get sick on the journey, we will go home. The moment we get a hangnail, and in my life, a hangnail is a piece of fingernail that's hanging off. In my wife's life, it's a piece of skin hanging off. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's painful. And as soon as we get that, if we're not equipped and empowered by Jesus, we will stop. It's only through Jesus that we can imitate Jesus. So maybe the serve like Jesus, maybe the subline is we have to have Jesus in order to serve like Jesus. Can't do it on our own. Cannot do it on our own. The gospel not only frees us from sin, but frees us to imitate and be changed and sanctified to look more and more like Christ in the way that he loves, in the way that he serves, in the way that he gives, in the way that he sacrifices all that he had for the sake of God the Father and the glory of the kingdom to come. That simple, right? Yeah, yeah. that's number one. Here's the other thing. The reason that Paul uses two named individuals, two people that they knew, again, was to exemplify the things that he's been teaching, the things that he's been talking about. But he did it so that he could point out something to them. They need to recognize the people in their life who have served them well. They need to recognize the people in their life who have served them well. Like Jesus, they need to recognize them. We need to do the same thing. Like as, as people who know God as a result of the gospel being explained to us, shared with us as a people who have matured in our faith, as a result of truth being conveyed to us, mouth-to-mouth, face-to-face, person-to-person, heart-to-heart. We need to look at the people who have served us well, served us sacrificially, served us intentionally, served us like Jesus, and we need to see them. We need to see them. And I know that sounds so modern in pop culture, but there's a part two to this, but we do. We need to recognize them. We need to see who those people are. They didn't do it by accident. They did it by the leading of the Holy Spirit, even if they didn't know they were doing it. I look back at the course and trajectory of my life, and I look at the men and women who've invested in me. Some of them may have done it because they felt very called to do it, but some of them were just being obedient to Christ, and I happened to be in their way. But I still need to realize who they are. I texted several of them this morning. And I just said, hey, this is what I read and we're reading this morning. Your names came to my mind, and I just wanted to say thank you. I just wanted to say thank you. And I'm jumping ahead, but before we do that, we just need to remember them. 
Remember the people that invested in you because they loved you like Christ. Who were they? What did they do? Recognize them. Write their names down. Write, just see them. Verse 20 and 21, if we're looking for markers of who these people are, he's talking about Timothy. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all, or the rest, seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. The people that we need to recognize are the people that did what they did because they were concerned about you and your welfare and your goodness and how well you knew and understood the gospel or how well you knew and understood what your calling on your life was or how well you knew and understood the make and the fashion of who you are in regards to Christ. They were there for you, not for them. Not like the rest. But they were there because they were genuinely concerned. Those people. Recognize them. Know their names. Write their names down. Which moves us on to this next part. Talking about Epaphroditus in verse 29. When he's coming back, he says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Not only do we recognize them, we need to honor them. We need to honor them. And it says honor such men, but hey, I'm, going, I'm not reading into Scripture, but in, in our lives, men and women, so we're not being sexist here. Like it's all those people, all those people who've invested in your life. Honor such people. Honor such people. Now, that's, that's a word that we may be lost in our culture. We might not know what that means, but I think in context of this, I think here are, here are three ways that we honor them. Number one is, is through our prayer. The first thing that we do is, just, is we just thank God for them. Thank God for them, the investment that they made in our life, what they did, what they said, how they were there. How long did they drive to get there? Was it 800 miles over rugged terrain and risk death? Was it that? Probably not, but maybe it was something just short of that. Thank God for them. Thank God for what they did, what they said. Maybe it was one line in a Waffle House, but it made all the difference. Maybe it was over the course of months, and they were very intentional with their words to correct or to call or to expose, whatever it may have been. Maybe it was months. Maybe it was years. Maybe, maybe it's a mom or a dad who spent a lifetime loving you well. Recognize them, and then when you pray, thank God for them. Thank God for them. And then secondly in our prayer, not only do we thank God for them, but we seek God's provision on their behalf. They did that for us. Maybe pray that they can do it for someone else. Maybe pray that they can invest the same thing that they invested in you, invest it in someone else. Pray for God's provision. Pray for God's blessing. Pray for God to take care of them and allow them to continue. So we say, thank you, God, and God, may you let them do it more. And it's okay to even say this. And I'm not talking about name it, claim it, prosperity, gospel, garbage. I'm not talking about that. But it's okay for you to pray blessing upon them, to ask God to bless them. That is okay. That's okay. That's not selfish on your part. You're seeking their interests, the things that they need. Maybe blessing on uh, the blessing that you're looking for is you know that they live paycheck to paycheck. Maybe ask God to give them 10 more bucks or one more child or another job. Whatever it may be, if you know them, if you've recognized them, if you've remembered them, you've thanked God for them, maybe you know what they need. So you just ask God for that because of what they invested in you selflessly, sacrificially, lovingly, genuinely, like Jesus. Honor such men and women. So we pray. We thank God for them. We seek the things they need. Then secondly, believe it or not, you thank them personally. If you want to honor someone, the best way that we can honor them is to thank them and encourage them. If they've invested in you, if they have given life to you, if they have sought your welfare over their own, thank them. 
And I would encourage you, do it with your voice and not just with a text. Maybe if you want to set it up with a text, say, hey, I would really like to talk to you Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. You know, maybe do that, but don't thank them over, like thank them with your voice, with your words. Thank them, maybe even face to face. It'd be great. Just say, hey, thank you for fill in the blank. If you've remembered them, you've recognized them, you've prayed for them, the next step is just, just to thank them thank them. He looks at Epaphroditus. He says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy. Tell him you're glad he's back. Thank you for doing what you've done. Honor such men. Pray for them. Thank them. Encourage them. And your encouragement may come in, in a ton of different ways. Whatever, whatever you see fit, whatever you're capable of doing, just encourage them. Thank them. Encourage them. But I think here's the best way that we can honor such men and women for the things that they've done in our lives. Learn from their example and imitate them. Learn from their example and imitate them. I think the reason that Paul pointed out behaviors, pointed out actions as a result of their identity is because he wanted more people to act like them. Later in chapter 3, he'll even say, look, imitate me. That's okay. And he gives a reason for that. I'm not going to let that cat out of the bag. And I don't even like cats, so we can stay in the bag as long as we want. But either way, like if we want to really honor them, we learn from their example and we imitate them, ultimately, if they are these people, we're imitating Jesus. Learn from them. See how they served you. See why they served you. See to what extent they served you, and strive to do that with someone else. By the way, to give it away, that's discipleship. They taught you by doing. Now you get to do it for and with someone else. That's discipleship. I mean, that's, I don't have an hourglass on today, but that's the whole point of our hourglass. God has poured into us and it trickles down. We get to flip it over and pour it into someone else. They have served us. We serve others just like they taught us to. That's the best way we can honor people that have invested in us. The best way. And, and Epaphroditus, you've got to understand, Epaphroditus and Timothy, whether Paul says it or not, he was being greatly honored by what they were doing. Greatly honored by what they were doing because they were taking what they learned from him, what they saw in him, what they watched him do for them and for others, and now they were doing it. And like I said last week, like, or a couple weeks ago, Paul looks and he's like, I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I want to know that I'm not laboring in vain. One of the best ways is we can look and see that people have learned what God taught us. We were able to teach them, and now they're doing it. It's the best way to honor. The best way to honor. So there's some legit legit application this week, like homework. I think the first thing, kind of like we talked about, yes, we want to serve like Jesus. And we ask Jesus, Jesus, how can I serve more like you? What does that look like? In what areas can I do it? With what people can I do that? Um, how does that look? How am I going to be capable? I'm only capable through you. But what is that? And we just ask. God, show me those ways. Let me serve like Jesus, only through Jesus, because of Jesus, to Jesus, all of those things. Look, what does that look like? Uh, does that mean that you you bake a pie for your neighbor? Are they pie people? If they are, then yes. You know, and, and get to know them. If you don't know your neighbor's names, you don't know your neighbor's birthdays, that's a great place to start. Okay? Just whatever it may be. How can I serve like Jesus? Um, ask God that. The second is take stock of those people who have. Like, they have served you like him. Like, take stock of who they are. Write their names down and figure out a way. Number one, to pray for them, how to thank God for them, how to seek their provision. But then how and when can you actually thank them verbally, face-to-face, -face, relationally? Say, thank you for that investment you made in me. Thank you. 
honor them, encourage them, do what they need, you know, help them out. And then strive to, after we take stock of who they are, what they've done, just ask the question, am I doing that now? Did I really learn from them or did I just receive from them? Or did I take something really and begin to put it in practice? Figure out how we can imitate them, ultimately, hopefully, imitating Jesus. And so this week, it may mean a couple things. You're going to pray differently, hopefully. Um, it may mean that you send a text to start a conversation to set up something else. If they live 250 miles away, you might not be able to see them face-to-face, so a phone call will suffice. But either way, recognize who they are. Thank them, pray for them, encourage them, strive to imitate them. In doing all of that, we get to honor them. I think the, the greatest men that have infected my life and changed uh, my life um, were guys that were doing it when I didn't even know they were doing it. But they did. You know, it might not always be like, like I, I didn't even know what they were pouring into me at the time. I just thought they wanted to get to know me. And they did, but they also wanted to see God do something in me. Think about those people who have done that. They made it look so easy. It probably wasn't. It was probably hard, but they did it anyway. It probably cost them time with their family, maybe time at their job, uh, maybe time away from their hobbies. It cost them something, but they knew you were worth it. They knew you were worth it. What does that look like for us to do that? Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for Christ. And God, we thank you for the way that you changed Paul and the way that Paul was intentional about investing in others to see them changed uh, for the hope of the gospel. And with that hope for your glory. Um, God, I thank you for the men and the women who have taken time to, to speak into our lives, individually, corporately, all of the above. God, I do pray this week that you would um, remind us of who they are. And Father, we should be able to receive them and honor them, uh, God, through the way that we pray for them, the way that we speak to them, and God, ultimately, the way that we, we do what they taught us to do, the way that we imitate them, therefore, hopefully, imitating you. Uh, thank you that you choose to convey your good news through people, not just through events, not just through books and papers and, and podcasts, but God, through people uh, and relationships with one another. Thank you so much that you knew best. Um, and you did exactly what needed to be done so that we could know you. Thank you for loving us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.